Please take your Bibles once again and turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick up with verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men! And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he were going farther But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Father, what a glorious portion of your word this is. 
Help us to experience, Father, something of what those two disciples experienced as Jesus walked with them and explained the scriptures. This we ask in the name of Jesus himself. Amen. Scripture records ten appearances of Jesus following his resurrection up to the point of his ascension into heaven. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other women, to Peter, to ten disciples, to eleven disciples when Thomas finally showed up, to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as we've just read, to the disciples in Galilee, to 500 people at once, Paul tells us, to James and the apostles, and finally to those who saw his ascension. Of all Jesus' appearances after his resurrection, his appearance to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus is the most detailed and the most vivid. Luke says in verse 13 that that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. That very day, of course, is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose that morning, and later on that day, these two disciples, one of whom is named Cleopas, they are going to a village named Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they did not yet know the truth about what had happened to Jesus. While they are walking along, probably late on Sunday afternoon, they are talking with each other about the things that had happened, about all these things which had taken place. Well, of course, they weren't talking about everything that had taken place. They were talking about the things they knew. They were talking about the death and the burial and the disappearance of Jesus from his tomb. But Luke said that while they were talking and discussing these things together, verse 15, Jesus himself approached and he began traveling with them but they were kept from recognizing him. Their eyes were prevented, we're told, from recognizing him. Jesus is now risen. Jesus is appearing now in his glorified state following his resurrection from the dead. It is clear that he has a body that was similar to his human body, It is a body of flesh and bone. It is the body that was placed into the grave. And he comes in that body and he joins these two disciples walking to Emmaus. But 
his identity is withheld from them. As far as they knew, he is just another traveler along the road. And they fall in together and they begin to talk. Their lack of recognition is a divine act. As Luke tells us that they are prevented from recognizing him. If they had not been prevented from recognizing him, we are given to understand, they would have recognized him because this is the same body. And isn't it true of us as well? God must open our eyes before we can see Christ for who he is. Before we can understand spiritual things. That moment is about to come for these disciples. But Jesus has much to accomplish in regard to these disciples before he reveals himself to them. And you can understand why Jesus is doing this, can't you? If these disciples were to recognize Jesus, that's pretty much the end of things. You can understand, they'd pretty much shut down at that point. They knew Jesus to be dead. And here he is walking along with them. I'm not sure that they would be able to absorb very much new information at that point. But Jesus has much to teach them. And so they are prevented from recognizing him. As they are walking along, Jesus says to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still. Looking sad. They were sad about what had happened to Jesus, obviously. But they were also surprised. They were shocked that someone, clearly coming from Jerusalem as they were, was unaware of everything that had happened. And so as Jesus asks them this question, they literally stop in their tracks. They stop their forward movement. They simply stand there, shocked at this question that is being asked. Jesus, of course, is engaging them in a way that would enable him to share with them the good news of his resurrection, but also to share with them the most amazing lecture on biblical theology that anyone has ever given in the history of the world. That's still to come. One of them, we're told, named Cleopas, answers him. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and aware of the things which have happened here in these days? 
Now, he's been through a lot this weekend. So we'll forgive him the attitude. (laughs) Under the attitude is that reality that he just cannot fathom that anyone who was in Jerusalem would not have heard about everything that had happened. We need to understand this. What was going on in regard to the crucifixion and the death and the burial of Jesus was not just confined to the Roman soldiers who carried it out or some of the Jewish officials or, or the disciples. Everybody knew about this. Jesus had been around in public ministry now for three years. The Jewish leaders were coming after him for almost that amount of time. Jesus had had preached to thousands upon thousands. You look at the accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, for instance, and you remember, as you read through those accounts, it specifies 5,000 men. Because that's how crowds were counted back in the day. You add women and children, and there's far more than that. So Jesus is speaking to vast multitudes all through his ministry. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem a week ago, what happens? Crowds are lining the road. They're throwing down palm branches. They're crying out, Hosanna. None of this was done in a dark corner. Everybody who was in Jerusalem knew what had happened that weekend. And if someone had just come into Jerusalem, they would have been asking, What's the ruckus? Why is everybody so excited? Why is everybody in an uproar? Everybody would have known. And so when Jesus asks these questions of these two disciples, they are stunned that anyone would need to ask. Everyone in Jerusalem was talking about what happened to Jesus. Phil Riken writes this, In truth, Cleopas was the one who did not know what was happening in Jerusalem. Jesus knew it all better than anyone, for it had happened to him. Instead of being the only person who did not know what was happening, Jesus was the only person who did. But Jesus' purpose is not to demonstrate the extent of his knowledge. He's got a purpose that he wants to accomplish in and for these two disciples. And so he follows up and asks another question there in verse 19. When they ask him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Jesus' response is, what things? (laughs) Now again, Jesus knows what things. 
But he's got a purpose in this. He wants those two disciples to explain what they knew. And by the way, asking questions is a good way to get people to clarify what they know about Jesus. If you're engaged in an evangelistic conversation, it is a great thing to do to simply ask questions. Who do you think Jesus is? Is there anything that you think separates you from God? If there is, how do we overcome that separation? Ask questions and see where people are. Do you think you're good with God? On what basis? And of course, most of the time, people are going to say, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person, I've done good things, or at least I haven't done terrible things. I'm better than the guy who lives next door. Because that's usually our standard, right? We're always comparing ourselves to other people. And we're always going to choose the worst people we know to compare ourselves to. Not the best. Of course, the reality is that if someone says that, there's the open door for the truth. Because the truth is that no one comes into a right relationship with God on the basis of who they are or what they have done or how righteous they are. No one is righteous. No one stands before God and can be described as good. Because the comparison that God makes is not with our neighbor. The comparison that God makes is with himself. That's why Paul says, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem. So how are we reconciled to God if that's the case? By grace. Through what Jesus has done in his death and his burial and resurrection. Through faith in him alone, not works, not church membership, not ritual and ceremony, but through faith in Christ alone. What things, Jesus asks. He wants to know what they're thinking. He wants them to verbalize it, not for his own sake. He already knows what they're thinking. He wants to draw them out. He wants them to start thinking through their own presuppositions, their own conclusions. Luke writes in There in verses 19 through 21, the answer that the two disciples give. They say to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. So they are now verbalizing where they stand at that moment. Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was mighty indeed and word in the sight of God and the people, but he was just a prophet. That's what that's the conclusion they have come to because Jesus died. And they knew prophets die. 
Prophets are killed. And prophets are killed by their own people. Israel had a long history of killing prophets. And so they could handle that. That made sense to them. What didn't make sense any longer, apparently, at least for the moment, was the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah. The conclusion that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. That wouldn't fit with Jesus dying. So he's a prophet, mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests, this is what else happened, they say, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But, now listen to this, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Past tense. We were hoping. We're not hoping in that anymore because he's dead. And they articulate what so many in Jesus' day were hoping for, where they were hoping for one to redeem Israel. And in their minds, the redemption of Israel consisted in a military and political leader who would come and kick the Romans out and establish David's throne in Israel once again. And Jesus seemed to fit that criteria, being a son of David and being so extraordinary teaching extraordinary things, doing extraordinary things. But they weren't looking for the kind of redeemer that Jesus turned out to be. And so through his death, their understanding falls apart. It's dust. So, they begin to speak in the past tense. This is what we were hoping. Luke continues with the answer of the two disciples. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. And you might think, given what Jesus had told his disciples, that when that phrase, the third day, comes out of their mouth, maybe it would ring a bell. But apparently not. Also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying they had also seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. So the two disciples told Jesus the astonishing news about the empty tomb and the angelic announcement of Jesus' resurrection, but at this point they didn't know what to make of all of that. 
Had the body of Jesus simply disappeared? Had Jesus really been raised back to life? They didn't know. It seems as if resurrection really wasn't being taken very seriously by these two. This is what the women said. But all we know is that there was an empty tomb. The important point here is that the resurrection of Jesus is essential to the good news of the gospel. And so often, we leave that out, don't we? Here's the gospel. You're a sinner and you need a savior. Jesus is that savior. Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross in the place of sinners. Period. Not period. Jesus went to the cross and died there in the place of sinners. And then he was buried and he rose again. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Paul tells us of. You look in the scripture and Paul is there and Paul in Chapter 15 is explaining what the gospel is. And he says this, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, to the twelve to more than 500 at once. And then to James and to all the apostles. And then finally to me, he says. Michael Ramsey says, The gospel without the resurrection is not merely a gospel without its final chapter. It is no gospel at all. Because if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then he's just another guy crucified by Rome, of which there were many, many thousands. What makes Jesus different is the resurrection. Again, Philip Ryken puts it this way, There is no good news unless Jesus rose from the dead. The gospel is the crucifixion plus the resurrection, which equals forgiveness of our sins and everlasting joy in the presence of God. Every Easter, I hear liberal clergy saying the same thing over and over and over again. They are people who deny the historicity of the resurrection. And they say it doesn't matter whether Jesus actually rose from the dead. The resurrection is a metaphor For the victory of life over death. And good over evil. And I want to take them. And shake them. And explain to them. That if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Then life did not conquer death. And good did not conquer evil.
Salvation is ours. Forgiveness is ours. Redemption is ours. Because the one who went to the cross in our place was also raised again from the dead. Well, Jesus rebukes these two. And he says to them, (laughs) O foolish men, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. People were much more direct back in the first century, I suppose. We, we all get offended so easily. And Jesus had no concern about offending them. He wanted them to hear what he had to say. And so he is extremely direct with them. You are foolish and you are slow of heart. You have heard what the prophets have spoken. You guys have heard it from the time you were born. And you will not believe. They had the Old Testament. And had they believed what was written there, they would have known that the Messiah would come as a spiritual redeemer, not as a military redeemer. And Jesus continues and asks them, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? If you had believed what the scriptures say, you would know this. And Jesus speaks to them as if this is the most obvious thing in the world. He's saying to them, how could you possibly have missed this? In my word... I have put it everywhere. I have made it obvious. How could you have missed it? And then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all The scriptures. Beginning with Moses. Now, again, those on the theologically liberal end of the spectrum have problems with looking at Moses as the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When they deny that, they deny what Jesus is saying. Jesus attributes Mosaic authorship to those books. That's how the Jews, including Jesus, referred to what they call the books of Moses. There's a reason they call them the books of Moses. They believe Moses wrote them all. And Jesus says, yes, that's right, he did. And you know what? When Moses wrote those five books of the Bible, he was writing about me. 
and when the rest of the prophets wrote. And here he's using prophet as just a general term for the rest of the Old Testament. When the rest of the prophets wrote, they were writing about me. And I am everywhere in the scriptures. Jesus preached the good news to these two disciples from the Old Testament. In fact, in the early church, that's what the apostles did too. It was the only Bible they had. They hadn't written the New Testament yet. (laughs) And so they're going back and they're preaching Jesus from the Old Testament. Just read Peter's Pentecost sermon. That's what he's doing. And that's what Jesus does for these two disciples. That just blows my mind. This is a tutoring session with the word of God. We hear all, you know, people complaining all the time about the condition of the schools and class sizes and so forth. <laughs> Can you imagine being in a class of 2 and your teacher is Jesus? And he's teaching you about himself in the scripture. What I would give to hear that sermon. When the word of God incarnate explains the word of God written. Of course, the obvious question is, what exactly did Jesus say were the things concerning himself? And we're not told. It's the most frustrating thing I think I have ever experienced. But I love the way J.C. Ryle summarizes what Jesus may have said to these two. He wrote this, How shall we explain these words? In what way did our Lord show things concerning himself in every part of the Old Testament? The answer to these questions is short and simple. Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet greater than Moses, whose glorious advent filled the pages of the prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head, the true seed in whom all nations were to be blessed, the true Shiloh to whom the people were to be gathered, the true scapegoat, the true brazen serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. These things, or something like them, we need not doubt, were some of the things which our Lord expounded on the way to Emmaus. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is not primarily a book about parenting or finances or relationships or morality. It is a book about Jesus Christ and God's redemption, which is found in him alone. So the two disciples and Jesus draw near to the village of Emmaus 
And Jesus acts as if he's going to go further, but the two disciples strongly urge him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And Luke did not say where Jesus was going to go, or at least where he acted as if he were going to go. Jesus had other places to go, other people to see. He's going to do that throughout the next 40 days or so. But the two disciples, of course, after receiving this amazing lecture on biblical theology, they want more. And they want him to stay and continue explaining the word of God to them, no doubt. And how thrilled they must have been when they finally realized who was actually there with them. One commentator says this, if they had not invited him, he would have passed on. And they would have forfeited the inexpressible privilege of discovering that it was their risen Lord who had been with them and instructed them. When Jesus is at the table with the two disciples, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then they understand. Their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And we can understand that too. This is not a unique situation for them. No doubt they had been with Jesus many times where he had taken the bread and he had blessed it and he had broken it and he had given it to them. So this was a divine act that enabled them at just that time to recognize Jesus. Because Luke says their eyes were open, verse 31, and they recognized him. Just as initially they were prevented uh, from recognizing him, now their eyes are open and they do recognize him. And once again, we are reminded that God must open the eyes of every sinner in order for Jesus to save. We've got to see the one who saves. By nature, we are spiritually dead. Dead people don't see very well. There's a reason why the scripture refers to unbelieving people, unconverted people, as being blind. But God, by his grace, through the gospel, opens our eyes spiritually to see Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And as soon as these two recognize Jesus, Luke says, Jesus vanished from their sight. How depressing does that have to be? In the days following his resurrection, Jesus is going to show up again. He's going to show himself to the disciples. He's going to demonstrate that he really has risen from the dead. But for these two, Once they saw him and once they understood, then his visible presence was no longer necessary. And these two disciples say to each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Such a fascinating statement. They don't say, weren't our hearts burning within us when we saw Jesus? Their hearts burned within them while Jesus was speaking to them and opening the scriptures to them. His revelation of himself simply confirmed what he had already shown them in the scriptures. Every person today can have a similar experience to these two disciples In that the opening of the scriptures can be used by God to open our eyes. To cause our hearts to burn within us. It is the risen and living Christ who makes the word of God come alive. When God is at work in us. That happens when you see Christ in the scriptures. That happens when you see how God's word is all about Jesus and God's redemption that is found in Jesus alone. Brothers and sisters, I have been a believer since I was 13. And the older I get and the more I am Immersed in the word of God, the more my heart burns when I find Jesus here. When I understand what the scripture is showing us about God's redemption through the great gift of his son. It is an amazing thing. And the longer we walk with Christ and the better we get to know the word of God, the more we will experience what these two believers on the road to Emmaus experienced. There are going to be dry times. There are going to be times, no doubt, when you open the scripture and they're just, it's ink on a page. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. Keep at it. This is the word of God. And the word of God is living. And he will make himself known through this word. Well, Luke says in the final verses of our passage this morning that they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Now, that's not what these two disciples were saying. That's what was said to them. They had no idea. They had been gone. They didn't know that Simon had gone to the tomb. So they are told when they meet everybody else, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And then they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And I read that. (laughs) And I just imagine that conversation. They walk in, and everybody's excited, and everybody says, he's really risen, Simon has seen him. 
And the two disciples just smile. (laughs) Oh, we can beat that. We not only saw Jesus. Jesus taught us the scriptures. The journey back to Jerusalem would have taken them about two hours. By then it would have been dark, no doubt, dangerous to be out on the road, but they were so excited. They had to go and they had to tell others what they had experienced. Jesus is alive. God raised him back to life on the third day. Jesus remains alive now. If you are not a Christian, believe that Jesus is indeed alive. Turn to God in faith and repentance. The Apostle Paul concludes his sermon to the people of Athens, to the philosophers with these words, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. If you are a believer, don't keep it to yourself. How can you keep it to yourself? Tell others about the one who has risen. Let us follow the example of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who rush back to Jerusalem, who can't keep quiet about the fact that Jesus is alive. Oh, Father, give us that joy, that excitement for your word and for the gospel that we might proclaim it, Father, whenever you give us the opportunity that Jesus might be known, the risen and exalted Lord. This we ask in his name. Amen.